Welcome to episode 143 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. I've been self-employed since 2015 and became a work-at-home dad when my first son was born at the end of that year. There are so many benefits to being home with my kids. When I step back to think about it, I know it's a real gift to have this much time with them. One thing I haven't had a lot of time for, though, is reading books. And I love to read. I've tried a lot of different strategies over the years to squeeze reading into my schedule, but time and again, I don't keep up with it. Then, a couple of months ago, I agreed to co-lead a masterclass about the importance of timing. This session was based on Daniel Pink's bestseller, When, so I knew I needed to read it beforehand. I checked my library and put in a request for the book in every format, not knowing which would become available first. I did pick up the hardcover and diligently tried to fit reading in, but I didn't get very far into the book. Then the audiobook became available. I had pretty much given up on listening to audiobooks years ago. I thought I didn't retain as much information compared to when I was actually reading a book. But since then, I've been listening to podcasts more frequently. It turns out I've retrained my brain to be better at listening to content than I used to be. I quickly got through when and excitedly sought out another book to listen to. I scanned my bookshelf and thought about which partially read book I wanted to finally finish. The 400-page tome, Never Eat Alone by Keith Ferrazzi was the answer. Okay, with a book picked out, when was I going to do all this listening? Working from home means I don't have a commute. Ah, I've been trying to stay motivated to get to the gym. 30 minutes of listening at a two times speed while on the elliptical is like an hour of quote-unquote reading, and I'm not multitasking unless you count sweating, so I'm more likely to absorb the content. I'm nearly finished with Never Eat Alone and can't wait to share some highlights in next week's email. Your challenge for this week. Have you been trying to read more? Set a goal of reading one book per week. Test out a new medium to see if that helps you fit it into your schedule. Look for down moments when you can read a bit on your phone's Kindle app. Maybe you can listen to an audiobook while walking your dog, going for a stroll with your baby, or at the gym. Check out the free audiobook downloads at your library and start putting your faves on hold. Eventually, Becoming by Michelle Obama will become available and you'll be ready to actually read it. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, onto this week's show. Today's guest has a mission for helping solopreneur experts do what they love and get paid what they're worth. He is a recognized authority on entrepreneurship and leadership development, having served as a CEO, COO, and CFO in the not-for-profit sector, as well as a project manager in the private sector. As the host of the business podcast, Smashing the Plateau, he's released over 400 episodes that offer a wealth of personal experiences and practical advice about achieving business breakthroughs. He is the co-founder of The Best Network, which guides expertise-driven solopreneur business owners to save time and make more money. Please join me in welcoming David Schreiner-Khan. Thanks so much, Robbie. Great to be here. David, thanks for joining me from your office in New York. It is a real pleasure. And as you know, this is a show about leadership and building strong networks. So tell me, 
How do you define leadership? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Uh, so for me, leadership means communicating ideas that spur other people to take action. So it's um, particularly in today's world, it's all about inspiration, inspiring others. You can't really use authority and command and, um, and, and your own responsibility to get other people to take action. Um, so it's, it's almost, um, and I think what you need to think about when it comes to leadership is think about a time when you have led volunteers, because if you can get volunteers to do something, then you can, it's easier to get people that you're paying money to do things. I love that. That's such a good reminder. Uh, no one has ever pointed it out before, but it's true. And I have had to be a volunteer coordinator and you, you know, you're always trying to figure out like, what's their reason for doing this? Like what's, what's their why for doing it? Cause then of course they're much more motivated if it feels like it's, it's meeting that for them. And I think if we use that same logic on employees, like they'd be so much more motivated as well. I mean, everyone's driven by something. It's a question of finding that and inspiring people towards that common vision. So I, I love this uh, reminder to do that because we have probably had some experience with that. Right. And also, by the way, Robbie, if you look at all of the studies of what creates good employee engagement and what, what inspires employees to actually do good work, um, it's not their paycheck. Right. Right. All of the Gallup studies and all the other studies demonstrate that it's really about other kinds of engagement. It's really the why they're, they're doing what they're doing as opposed to the compensation. Right. That's awesome. So when did you start to think maybe maybe just maybe you had the skills to do this? Um, you know, I don't know when I actually realized that I had the skills to do it. Um, I was thinking um, in advance of our conversation today about sometimes some sort of random times when I was in leadership roles and sort of how that came about and what the result was. Um, and some of the more powerful ones actually were in volunteer roles. So as an example, I was thinking about, and I haven't actually talked to anybody about this one in a long time. When I was in my 20s, um, I was on the condo board of the first, first property we owned. And um, so I was one of the younger people who was involved. And, um, and I um, was probably the driving force in a lot of what happened on the condo board. Um, you know, that, that's a, that's a, a minor example. Another one that took place for me um, also as a volunteer was about uh, a little over 10 years ago, I was the co-chair of a, of a major conference that had about 800 attendees. And the interesting thing about this conference is that it was primarily volunteer run. Um, there, were, there were two paid staff for the organization. Um, one of whom wasn't responsible for the conference. So we had essentially one paid conference coordinator and then 800 people who planned everything from the program content, uh, speakers, um, catering, the site, wow. um, the social events, et cetera. And it was a very bottom-up model. So the whole idea of the way this was run was the people who were at the team level were supposed to be making the substantive decisions. And as you moved up in the hierarchy, the people at the top were just managing other people and leading other people. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so that actually, and again, this is all volunteers. So, uh, and it was about a 10 month effort to try to get this conference off 
you know, till, till the conference actually happened. So that, that was a big one. And, um, and, you know, professionally, when I went from engineering into the nonprofit sector, when I was an engineer, I was, I was uh, early on in my career and I was a sort of a frontline employee. So I didn't have like major leadership responsibilities there. When I went into the not-for-profit sector, I was always in leadership roles. And there I was, I was leading both paid employees and volunteers, um, which is really complicated. And I realized um, after doing that for a while and seeing the kind of results that I was actually pretty good at it. Mm. So this is so interesting because you have had such a varied work history. And as an engineer, um, there's a stereotype. I wonder how much you fit the stereotype of, of being less people focused. It feels like nonprofit requires a lot of people interaction and engineering. Usually people are drawn to that because that's not their forte. So are you a, an engineer who also likes people? Um, that's probably why I got out of engineering. Ah, I see. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the, um, the truth about my own background is I was, I did better in math and science than in humanities in high school. And it seemed kind of natural to in college to study something that was technical in nature. So, you know, me, I picked probably one of the hardest things to do, which is chemical engineering and got through it. Um, did okay, got a job, did well on my work. Um, but I wasn't really inspired by the kind of work that I was doing, you know, so I was talk about what happens with leadership. I was not inspired right. to, to make, to, you know, whatever the company was producing, it was okay. It was interesting, but it was like, I couldn't see myself doing it another 30 or 40 years. And so, um, I decided I, I needed to find another way to make a living and, um, and ended up going into something that was much more about community service. Yeah. Mission I found a whole lot more rewarding and yeah. I, frankly, I think it, it did fit my personality a lot better. So when you were younger, because, um, you know, it's interesting that in your 20s, you, uh, you know, have this condo association experience um, and you felt comfortable being the person who was stepping up in that way, even though people were many decades older than you. Um, so even younger than that, like when you were in grade school and high school, like were you the social creature who like organized people to get together? Were you kind of watching the crowd? Did you run for office? Like, what was sort of that part of your life like? Um, yeah, I never ran for office. Didn't see myself as being somebody who wanted a public profile. You know, as a matter of fact, um, it's really like in the last probably 10 years or so that I've been much more public in a big way than I was even when I was uh, in leadership roles in the not-for-profit sector. And um, did I organize things? Um, not necessarily in a super proactive way. Right. Now, you know, sometimes yes, sometimes no. What do you think made this shift in the last 10 years? Because, I mean, you are definitely have a higher, higher profile than the average person. So how, what makes that shift? Um, interestingly enough, one of the things that kind of triggered it was starting to do some business networking, which I know is something that, that obviously is going to um, resonate with you. Yeah. So about a year after I launched my business, this is going back, um, I launched my current business in 2006. So in 2007, I joined BNI, which is a you know pretty well-known business networking organization. A friend of mine who was also in, in her own business um, and had started a business shortly before I started mine was a member. And she said, you know, David, you might find this interesting. And I, I knew nothing about business networking. And I actually really liked it. I liked the structure. 
I liked, um, I liked the whole concept of you help me, I'll help you and, um, and give and take, um, building relationships with people where you're supporting one another over a long period of time, mm-hmm. um, especially people who are not direct competitors with you. Yeah. I thought that was a great concept. Dr. Ivan Meisner was actually a guest in the show and it was really interesting to hear the origin of how he started BNI and how it grew to be like this global entity um, that's everywhere. And it's, you know, all about referral and, and such closed networks. But was it that you got more comfortable by, by being in that space and having that, those interactions that you sort of thought, well, I can keep doing this elsewhere and kind of build, build up from there? Yeah, I mean, BNI forces you to be comfortable with co- comfortable being public, at least within your your own BNI group, because mm-hmm. you have to get up and speak in front of however many members there are. But um, when I joined, I think there were about twenty five people in our group. So you, you know, you have to get up every week and say something that's interesting and relevant to them. So already you're being forced to to be public in a small way. And then I started doing lots of other networking. I went to other BNI chapters. I went to other kinds of networking functions. And I got used to getting up and giving a pitch. Um, And I also started learning about content creation, seeing how other people who had small consulting businesses were getting the word out about their expertise through content creation, which is another way of, of becoming public. That led to a podcast. And obviously with a podcast, you're also pretty public. All your stuff is all over the internet all the time. So, uh, so yeah, so it's sort of, it has evolved. Yeah. Well, how long ago did you launch? Like what year was it that you launched your podcast? 2014. Yeah, I mean, that's a while ago. I mean, that's a, a, a respectable, you, you know, there are elders starting in 2009, <laughs> but still even 2014, it's like the beginning of the, the wave is still, you're still part of that initial wave of people. Um, and you've been keeping it steady, which is phenomenal. I mean, I think you know the stat, the average runs for, I think it's 12 episodes in six months. Yeah, something like that. You have like 400 episodes out there. Yeah, at this point we're approaching 500, but wow. Um, yeah, it's definitely consistency. And, and, you know, there are people who are, um, in terms of, of audio content creation, which is, which is what a podcast is, there, um, there are people that, that predate the, um, the internet and iTunes by a lot. Uh, I've had Rick Edelman on my show twice, who's a well-known financial advisor and started a radio show, I think in the 1980s that he's, wow. you know, he did on, on ABC national for, for many years before also it became a podcast as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at somebody like Terry Gross, who yeah. is the host of fresh air. Like, like I, I want to be Terry Gross when I grow up. <laughs> She's amazing. She's been doing this since the 1970s. Yeah. Now, yeah, and talk about a gift. Yeah. So I, you know, I imagine that uh, the, the podcast also has been incredible for you as around networking. I mean, I, I have found that for my own show. But here's the question I, I want to ask you about the current work that you're doing. I want to know, what do you find most rewarding about the work? Uh, so for the work itself, what I find most rewarding is seeing clients have a transformation where it's not just a transformation that they've yes they, they've achieved the kind of outcomes they want um, if they're looking f- to increase the revenue in their business by i don't know let's say 20 percent and it increases by 30 percent they're going to be happy that's great but what i what i really love seeing is when 
a light bulb goes off and something clicks that they just didn't recognize. So one of the things I love seeing with clients is, especially for solopreneurs, um, too often they make their work way too complex. They make their business too complex. Like they're selling too many different kinds of things. And the reality is what they really love doing is um, can be boiled down to like a simple system. You know, as an example, um, I have a client now who is doing um, kind of in the training and development space, working primarily um, giving speaking and um, consulting and coaching. And the consulting and coaching is is very customized. Mm. And um, what we're actually working on now is creating an academy that will deliver, um, will start by delivering one solution repeatedly for multiple clients, right? Mm -hmm. And that is like a game changer for this person. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's something that, the, that, that they thought they weren't going to actually have the, the space or the wherewithal to do until they were like, sort of had built the business for 20, 30 years and were sort of on the, uh, the latter piece of their career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've experienced that with a lot of my clients as well. I, I tend to work with entrepreneurial women who are in their uh, 50s and 60s. And so they have this experience they've done either in corporate or as a you know coach or speaker for many years, but they're all doing their work hour for hour. Um, and then when they come to me, they say they want to host a podcast or maybe they want to write a book, but what they really want is more. And the more is what you just described is this idea that you can put out a product, uh, it could be a mastermind, it could be a course, um, you know, it could be a podcast, um, not necessarily revenue producing, but a way to get the word out there, but to have the idea of like more impact for each hour that you're working um, and also more revenue for the, each hour. I mean, I think for people who have not thought that they could make that shift, finding someone like you to guide them, and part of it's like finding the time and making the commitment and prioritizing I mean, there's so many roadblocks people have. I, I feels like that's probably more, you're, you're in that coach role around mindset even more than some of the tactical stuff because they can get to the tactical stuff only after they've accomplished the mindset. Is that what you're finding with your clients? Um, yeah. Um, yeah, there's, there's another client that comes to mind that runs a small business that has um, a couple dozen employees. And... Um, one of the things that the business owner didn't realize is that what he wants to be able to do is, first of all, he's, he's really good at selling and less interested in the, in the operations of the business. And um, we realized we needed to sort of focus on what he's really good at and have the other people work on operations and um, ongoing customer service, et cetera. Um, that was a big game changer, just making sure that that, that reality was, was recognized and the focus happened. And the second piece was, um, as a small business owner, um, and this really was based on his own personal story, he wanted to create, because a lot of his workers are um, uh, lower level on the socioeconomic scale. He wanted to create a place where those kinds of people had stability, were recognized for their gifts, 
mm-hmm. and were treated with respect. Mm. Yeah. Um, and that that's a really important value. And so that has, has become one of the values that has been um, promoted and communicated throughout the business to the employees and to the customers. And it's also, that's been a game changer. And so watching his reaction when we've sort of worked through that and said, this is a really important value to you. Let's make sure this business actually supports this value in everything that everybody in the business does. Well, what's so cool about it, going back to our earlier point about leadership, is that one of the ways you fulfill that value is giving people um, more say in how they do their job and more ability to, to give input into the outcome. And that ownership, right, that leadership potential gets seen and recognized, which makes them more invested in their job. You know, it gives them more pride about their job, which keeps their, their retention high. You know, it allows him to focus on the part of the work that he wants to be focusing on. It's like a great leadership opportunity for him to give his employees the opportunities to step up in that way. Right, exactly. And and to your other point, Robbie, it's really hard to recognize these nuggets for yourself of like where your greatest value is, because the things that we're really good at, we tend to take for granted and we assume that everybody can do these things. It's like, I'm, I'm pretty good. I have a good sense of direction. If I go someplace once, chances are five years later, I can find my way if in the same, uh, on the same path again. But um, I have a terrible memory for movies. I, I, I watch a movie and then a week later, I've forgotten everything that was in it. So, I mean, these are simple examples, but I, I assume that anybody can find their way around. And I've, I've learned that's not true. Well, I have a really hard time yeah. following, following the same directions twice. I actually think it's funny that the thing you just said about the movie, my wife is, is incredible at remembering all these things. And I, I have such a bad memory for movies that if I see it coming attractions, I then sometimes I'm convinced that I've seen the whole movie because I remember about as much <laughs> from the entire movie as I do from the coming attractions. And I'll, she's like, I don't think you saw this. And I'm like, oh, I'm pretty sure I did. Is, it, is this what it's about? And she's like, why don't you turn it on and see if you actually saw it? You know, it's funny, like what you're good at. Again, it's, it's hard to hold the mirror up. This is where having a strong coach, having a, a pure accountability, being in a mastermind, like all the things that online... Um, business people are learning. I think we can also see the value in that for anyone who's still got their nine to five job, same things can apply for the work that they're doing. So as you've made these shifts, what was what was most challenging? Because you've, you've made the shift from the engineering background, you went to nonprofit, you had all these different leadership roles in nonprofit. Then you left and you now are this like online business person who is showing other people the path to success. You've got your your podcast, you've got the best network, which is a great name, <laughs> um, and so, but what was like? What was the challenge for you? Is it was it a skill set you're missing? Was it a mindset that was hard to overcome as you started making all these career shifts? Um, well, it's both. I mean, there there are there are tactics that um, that are needed for all of these things, and anything anything that we do that's new, anything I do that's new. Um, there's certain things I know and certain things I don't know. Um, so one of the things that, that had, and then there are the mindset issues. So one of the things that it took me a long time to recognize the value of is, uh, feedback that I 
get repeatedly from, from clients and from colleagues, which is that I'm a good listener, um, which as a podcast host, um, I guess that sort of makes sense. But it, it took me a number of years to sort of realize that that actually had value. And one of the things that I've come to realize that I'm good at is um, not only being able to understand pretty quickly what makes each individual unique and what makes each organization unique, um, but I'm able to retain that and remember it. So even though I might have lots of relationships and I may have had lots of clients over the course of my business career, um, but if you put me next to somebody that I haven't seen in a while, I'll know instantly what's special about them. And, and I'm pretty good at letting people know that I recognize what's special about them. And there's a lot of value in that because it helps people. Because uh, as I said before, it's hard to know, um, it's hard to understand and appreciate those things about yourself. So if somebody else can help you understand that and articulate it, then you can, especially if that's part of your business, you can use that as part of your unique selling proposition, which is what it is so that you can actually get more clients and make more money as a result of that unique value. So that's something that, again, that was part of the thing that was, it took me a while to realize that. And then, ta- and then tactically, you know, there are little things that happen all the time. Like uh, I, just, just before we started recording this, I was dealing with a colleague with, uh, with a, a MailChimp issue. Right, so as part of part of an online business, you have to know how Mailchimp works, and a lot of these systems are um, some of them are easier to understand than others. Even though I have a pretty good, you know, I'm pretty good technically, um, some of them are intuitive to me, and others are not. They're always intuitive to the people who design them. The question is, are they intuitive to me? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. I have to say, YouTube has become one of my favorite. Uh, tools because when a client, because I don't use MailChimp anymore, it's been a long time. They've changed a lot since I started using it years ago, and but it's a great place to start. So it's it's where a lot of my clients do start. And then I'll say, oh, I I think there's a way for you to make a landing page. And next thing you know, I'm now learning from YouTube how to do that. <laughs> you know, oh, there's a way to do an autoresponder sequence, and then I share the link to how to do that. Um, because you do, ha- you're on a roll where you you have to sort of be um, uh, at the ready to to direct people to a great resource. I think that's always a bit of a challenge. But it sounds like you you've you're you're. It's funny, like your um, takeaway when I asked you what was challenging was to talk about how it took you a while to learn that you were a good listener. So it's funny because people were telling you that. So you would think if you're a really good listener, you would have heard it the first time. Just you know. <laughs> yes, yes, you would think, but no, I didn't. <laughs> but and, and by the way, and I and I had testimonials in writing from people saying this over and over again. It's like, David, wow. you just don't get it. This this is this is your gift. Just go with it. You know, that actually makes me think about how we often overlook again, sort of what we're good at, but also what we could be um building a business around. Like we have an idea in our head and we build a business plan in our head, we want to bring it to the market. But really, if you if you survey sort of who's coming to you you know, for advice, support, services, what are they always saying? I mean, your lesson can be extrapolated out further that we all have people coming to us that say certain things over and over again. Again, that's how you identify the thing that you're so good at. The other people are like, oh, I always come to you for that because that's what you, that's what you do. Um, but, you know, how do you quiet your, the noise enough to sort of like pay attention 
So there's a little bit of like, it's a little bit of like not just driving forward an idea, but like paying attention to what's already happening around you. So I'd love to actually share a story, some self-reflection around that one, because for me, it was huge. So I started my business in 2006. I'd come out of the not the nonprofit sector and I thought I'll be a nonprofit consultant. That's what I know, which was which is what I did at, at first. And then when I started doing some networking, small business owners started asking me for help. And so I started picking up some clients in the small business space. And what I, um, in my head, was aspiring to be, um, I was seeing consultants and coaches who are working with, you know, Fortune 500 companies. And I was thinking, well, um, I should be able to do that. And what kept happening was people who were primarily solopreneurs kept asking me for help and advice. And they, kept say, and they kept saying the same thing over and over again, which is, I want to make more consistent revenue. So guess what we did? We started Best Network to help solopreneurs build recurring revenue. But I started my business in 2006. We launched Best Network in 2018. So, <laughs> so yeah, so there, there were lots of messages telling me, this is what you should be doing with your business. But I wasn't necessarily following what I was hearing. Yeah. So have you had coaches or uh, mentors or people like that guiding you over the last decade? Um, I, I actually, I've had some. Um, I find that um, many of them have a one size fits all formula, which um, I find doesn't work too well. It's like, you know, I've created the seven step system to that, that you can fill in the blank. And everybody who's in this type of business should use this system. Yeah, yeah. I don't find a lot of value in that myself either, other than as a book. <laughs> because right. if, it's, if you're drawn to it, it'll be very helpful. You can DIY. But I think part of the benefit of having a coach is that they are interacting with you and your story and your needs, your desires. I mean, a lot of times what I discover with my clients is that the thing they came to me for initially sometimes after the 90 days initial consult isn't what they want to be focusing on. Um, they actually have a much bigger dream or a different order that they want to attack things, um, but they couldn't see that for themselves. So if they hadn't come to me, they would have just found a person who helped them do that one particular, whatever was presenting in the moment. You know, it could be like hosting a podcast. Just that's actually one a lot of my clients are really interested in. It's a new thing. They're you know, it's it's a it's the thing to be doing. It's an enormous amount of time, and it's not a direct revenue source. So, you know, I, it, it could be great. It could be a great way to to get you know traction in your business, or it could be you avoiding the thing you need to be doing in your business, right? Oh, like, yes. <laughs> it's like a it's like a really good hobby to like distract yourself from the work you'd be doing in your business. So, but you know, not everyone wants to have that reflection point. And if you hire someone to just help you put together a podcast, they won't ask you those questions. That's right. Right. That's the difference between a person who serves that immediate need and those who like really kind of dig in a little bit. I mean, I'm always talking about the, the benefits of having coaches. I'm currently working with Dory Clark, who's getting me to do and push further and dig deeper and all the things I didn't think was on my agenda are now like back on my agenda. And it's like, it's, it's really, really helpful to have someone who's a little further ahead, or in this case, a lot further ahead kind of give you some goals to, to reach for. So you know, we've been talking a little bit about networking. You were talking about the value of BNI, but you've had this very varied work history. 
Um, you've been in this space now for you know a dozen years. It's morphed and changed a lot. As you think about nurturing and sustaining your network, as you're thinking about not just your closest connections, but the second and third tier out, how do you how do you go about nurturing them? What's I don't know your philosophies, your practice, your habits around that. Yeah. So um, I, I am probably way less systematic about that than I could be. Um, even even though I said to you, I'm somebody who likes likes systems and um, and looks for ways to to um, create processes and and look looks for repeatability and automation. Um, in reality, particularly when it comes to one-on-one connections, they all take time. And, um, and I would say that with some people, I am really consistent about an ongoing relationship. Um, so I, I will usually have um, one or more people that are um, sort of... Uh, strategy and accountability buddies, where we will speak regularly. Um, often it's every week. Sometimes it's not always. And, and who those people are tends to morph over time, depending upon who they are and who I am and where we are in our lives. Um, so that's, that's one way that, that I'm somewhat consistent about it. When it comes to like the second and the third tier people, they're, um, they're a little more random. I may interact with with them around a particular event. So, as an example, I've been um, an icon at Steve Ulsher's New Media Summit twice, and he has uh, his particular audience that he attracts. Um, both uh, the people who are the the veteran podcasters, who are the icons, and the people who want to boost their influence in their business and in the world who are the attendees. And um, when you go to a conference like that, then you interact with those people sort of um, obviously on an intense basis while you're attending. And then shortly afterwards, or maybe just before you also interact with some of those people, and then you get a few months out and it's less so. And then some of those people end up becoming sort of ongoing relationships. Mm-hmm. So that, that's a good example of somebody, uh, people who are probably second tier or third tier. Yeah, and I think the conference example is great because that's usually where, you know, it's by going every year to something that you start to really form a relationship as opposed to a one-time nice to meet you. Um, Because after the second time you see them, you know, you do a little deeper, maybe you do stay in touch after that, after the conference. Um, You think of an introduction for them, you know, but but I am I sort of was a little surprised to hear because you are such an engineer background you know <laughs> I'm not so systematic guy. about it <laughs> you know um, putting things in your calendar and like you know having having a plan for as you go in um, you know is, is all, all all those things a little helpful I think people have to find ways to fit this into their life and that's one of the challenges a lot of people have is that they see networking as a thing they do sort of separate from their business. Um, but it's so core to the work that you do. I mean, I have a belief that every business challenge can be met through relationships. So, you for know, sure. and you're agreeing. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, for sure. But on the other hand, um, you don't want to get so far away from those relationships that when you need something is the first time you come back to them. So that's the balance is always figuring out how to continue to 
you know, have those people in your life, even though you don't maybe have direct work with them. I think there's so many different um, processes for that. Are you a person who hosts gatherings or, you know, are you a organized, like either online or offline, like connections for people? Um, Yes. So yeah, remind me, I want to come back to actually talk about a few a few tips that might mm. be useful to your listeners. Yeah, great uh, about some some things that I do do um, as a matter of habit that that might be useful for people that I, I guess would fall into the systematic realm. Um, but yes, I do organize events um, both uh, locally and online. Uh, so so one of the things that has developed out of my podcasting relationship is. Um, Actually, it's it's a new business that that I launched with um, with Jamie J, who's another podcaster, called Three Day MBA. We had to create a virtual summit that took place in the middle of 2018, and now we're doing weekly Facebook Live events every Wednesday morning, nine o'clock Eastern. Mm. Um, so it's Jamie, me, and a guest, and um, so that that's a, a virtual event. Yeah. And then um, here in New York, um, over the years, I have hosted lots of in-person events, and they have sort of ebbed and flowed. Um, uh, the first time, thinking about it, the first time that I was regularly hosting my own events, they were smaller gatherings of, you know, maybe um, a handful to maybe a couple dozen people to get together and, and uh, work uh, and hear a guest speaker around a topic. Um, and I sometimes did those kinds of things monthly. So kind of like meetups. Uh, I've held larger ones that have ha- that have been um, more like a um, uh, kind of presentation and workshop format mm-hmm. that have, um, you know, maybe, I don't know, 50, 75 people. And um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, these are different opportunities people interact with you that you aren't having one-on-one time with them, but they're still like benefiting from being in your universe. Um, I think I love this idea of the Facebook lives that you're doing with the community of people that had a shared experience because obviously that that's deepening a connection over time. And those are the kind of people that are going to refer clients to you because they, they know what you're about. I recently had the experience similar to this. I, um, I'm in Dory Clark's, um, a course. I took her course a few years ago called Recognize Expert, and she has a Facebook community attached to it, which has been just a wonderful uh, space for me. The people I've met there have been wonderful. And I, I hear from people all the time that they, they didn't make their way all the way through the course, and they all feel bad about it. But that, I mean, this is very typical. Most of us have a zillion courses we've bought and haven't gone through, but people feel like they should do it. It's like so valuable. So I put together a reboot of the course and um, found all the emails that Dory had sent and started sending them out. Uh, had people sign up for it. And about 40 people get a weekly email from me. And then I hosted six live Zoom, like accountability calls. And what a you know, great way to give back, right? To that, in that particular community, but also to Dory, because you know, people want to use her content and she wants them to use, you know, content creators don't create right. these things to sit on shelves. Exactly. And, um, and I don't know, for me, like, it, it's, not been, it's not hard at all. And like, I'm getting all this added value of connections who want to talk to me one-on-one as at least one or two people that are considering joining my next um, cohort for the MORE program for entrepreneurial women. I mean, 
I wouldn't have thought about it on the outset, but it just sort of makes sense as I did it. I, I don't do things small. <laughs> so, you know, I could have been like, let's just get together with one other person. Um, but I think that you, like you're saying, like finding opportunities to create value for people is a way to build connections with the people in your second and third tier. Yeah. So here are a couple of things that I do do that are a little more systematic that I think people will find useful to hear. Um, so one of the things is getting together with a small group of people on some regular basis, whether it's scheduled out far in advance or not. Um, but let's say anywhere from maybe, I don't know, four to 10 people get together at the beginning of the day to have a serious conversation over breakfast or we meet for lunch. And maybe it might be that we just do this once a quarter. Um, and again, we may have these kinds of things where everybody, we know who's going to attend and we know when they're going to be ahead of time, or maybe not. Maybe it's just who wants to get together. We're going to do it. This is the date. Um, whoever wants to come will come. And at the end of the time we're together, we will plan a date for the next one kind of thing. And, and maybe pick a topic to talk about and maybe not. Um, you know, maybe we'll suggest that everybody read a book and talk about the principles in the book. I've done that. Uh, one of the things I also do with people where it's not necessarily a, um, a, a fixed time that we're going to engage one-to-one, um, but I want to make sure that we are going to have some one-on-one time that is consistent. So at the end of, of and again, whether this is a, a live face-to-face meeting, if it's um, over a meal, not over a meal, or, or whether it's virtual, before we say goodbye to plan the next one, when's it going to be? And again, I do this with some people where we schedule one-hour Zoom calls roughly once a quarter. Mm-hmm. which is great for maintaining the relationship. It doesn't yeah. take a huge amount of time for either of us. We know it's important to stay in touch. Doing it by social media or email is not deep enough. So let's take an hour once a quarter to chat. I love it. I mean, in some ways, it's, it's um, an organized way of like a um, catch-up calls, which I always advise people to do. There are people in your life that you should just reach out and have a cat. Is you're not selling them anything, you're not pitching, um, you really want to hear what they're up to. They're going to ask you what you're up to, so you better have a good answer. <laughs> this is about being succinct and uh, all your practice with BNI about how to pitch. You know, do do a quick update um, is comes in handy for these moments. I think people haven't often had a lot of practice with that. Um, this is great. I, I think it's very actionable ideas. So one of my favorite questions we're coming actually to the kind of end of this uh, is if we were connecting a year from now, and I obviously hope that we stay in touch between now and then, but if we're uh, connecting a year from now and we are celebrating all of your successes, what are we going to be toasting? What are you most looking forward to in the year ahead, David? Um, so I would like to see, uh, we're, we're launching right now, launching a, a new team for Best Network. So I would like to see that new team um, get off the ground. Um, over the course of the year, we're going to be launching multiple teams in sequence. I'd like to see a few of these get off the ground. And I'd like to see the people, as many people as possible who are, who are in these teams, get the kind of outcomes that they want. Mm. One of the things that we're doing is we're being really specific about what is it you want to achieve by, by being on these teams. Because um, it, it's, um, 
it's a financial commitment and a time commitment. And I'm, particularly the time commitment is really important. You mentioned, Robbie, how lots of us have bought these courses and have never finished them. I don't want people to join Best Network and not do the work. That sort of defeats the purpose of it. We can give you all the tools and give you the systems and, and give you some guidance and provide resources and hook you up with other amazing team members and provide you support as the, the group's guide. But unless you actually do the pieces that you need to do yourself, you're not going to achieve the kind of outcome you want. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, one one piece of what people need to do, there, there's a self-reflection piece. And they actually have to sit down and and there's some exercises that you're going to have to do to be able to um, do the analysis about yourself. And unless you do that, you're not going to get to step two. Yeah, that's really so, smart. So, so I, really, I really want people to join these teams and do the work so that they can get the benefit of being part of it. That's really great. I mean, I love that um, you have people coming on, supporting each other, um, these sort of cohort model. How, how big are your teams? Are they... Um, maximum is like nine or 10. Yeah. So they get to know each other. Yeah. That's, that's, I think people really benefit from those kind of spaces. It's my favorite size of groups to work with. Yeah. It's enough, enough. So there's interaction and support, but mm -hmm. not so many that there's no attention. Right. Right. And people don't get lost. So David, where can people find you and follow your work? Um, best place to go is the homepage for the podcast, which is smashingtheplateau.com. Mm-hmm. There's, there are links to get in touch with me, schedule an initial conversation with me. I'd be happy to talk to any listeners about what makes them special. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, connect with me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, if you search my name, David Schreiner Khan, I'm the only one in the world. So um, I'm pretty easy to find. (laughs) Well, we will have all those links in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. David, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks a lot, Robbie. Appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed that interview with David. Such a pleasure to speak with him and learn about his leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share it resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 143. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's episode. At the start of this episode, I was talking about how I'm finally building in time to listen to audiobooks. Well, now I'm looking for recommendations. Reach out to let me know what business books I shouldn't miss. My email is robbie at robbiesamuels.com, and I'm easy to find on Twitter and LinkedIn at Robbie Samuels. Did you miss the free masterclass on timing that I mentioned at the beginning of the show? You can check out all of my free masterclasses at robbysamuels.com forward slash masterclass. Some of the most popular ones are, should I host a podcast? Uh, There is ones on, should I write a book and book launch strategies? Getting the most out of conferences. Um, The one that we did a a series around the magic of quarterly goal setting. So you'll find all of those at robbysamuels.com forward slash masterclass. If you enjoyed this episode with David, please share with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance, and I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, 
work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming successful leaders. Until then, have an awesome week. Thanks for listening to On The Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On The Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.